Welcome back to the podcast of Not a Square Inch. And normally, we want to focus on Christian worldview issues. But uh, there's a message I've been wanting to give for quite some time, and I think it's essential. And so today, we're going to talk about the scariest verses in all of Scripture. The scariest verses in all of Scripture. And we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. So hang on. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. This is not a square inch, the new podcast of Hope Prison Ministries. The goal is to help you see all of life through the lens of Scripture. To learn more, please visit us at notasquareinch.org. All right, well, thank you for joining us on notasquareinch.org, the new podcast sponsored by Hope Prison Ministries. I want to thank you for taking the time out. On Thursday, November 19th, we had our Thanksgiving celebration. We're in the process of editing that video, and then we're going to want to make that available to all of you who listen to us on this podcast and really everyone out there. So as soon as it's finished being editing, we're going to make that available to you. But for now, I want to focus on a passage of Scripture. Like I said at the beginning, the goal of the Not a Square Inch podcast is to help take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, to focus on Christian worldview issues. But every now and then, something comes along that I just think needs attention. And there's been a message that's been on my heart for some time. I don't know how many people listen to this podcast yet, but I really think uh, it's something that needs to be said. Because I think there are a lot of people who are going to be surprised in the end. And what I mean by that is I'm specifically addressing those who are in the church. I believe there are many people who are going to be surprised in the end. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. And then we're going to back up a little bit and get some context, okay? But here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness." The reason I call these the scariest verses in all of Scripture is that I believe they refer to a time when we're going to stand before our Lord and Savior, and there are going to be some thoroughly convinced who believe they're going to go to heaven who will find out they're going to hell. And I want you to note that these are not people that you would expect that to be said. These are people who, as they have said themselves to Jesus, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? Notice that Jesus did not refute anything they said. He did not say, no, you haven't done any of that. He said, depart from me, I never knew you. You workers of lawlessness, those, in other words, who do not do the will of his Father. Now, I want to be very clear. 
no Christian is saved by works. That is, we are not saved by what we do. But what we do shows that we are saved. The Reformers used to be fond of saying, we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Faith without works is dead, but our faith will never be alone. Faith produces works. It's the great conflict between Romans that says the just shall live by faith and faith alone, Ephesians, and then in James, James says, well, you show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. And there have been many theologians who have seen a contradiction in those two statements, but they're really not. They're two sides of the same coin. You see, you have faith on one side, you have works on the other, and they are inseparable. We're saved by faith alone, but faith produces works. And the kind of works that it produces are not those described in this passage. There are going to be many who preach the gospel who will not go to heaven. There are going to be many who are part of great missions and great missions agencies who will not go to heaven. There are going to be many who are in the church. You may be sitting next to them on Sunday morning. You believe them to be one of the greatest people you've ever known, but they will not go to heaven. And when they say those things, when they say, but didn't we do this, didn't we do this, didn't we do that, Jesus does not refute them. He just says, depart from me, I never knew you, you who do not do the will of my Father, you workers of lawlessness, depart from me, I never knew you. Now I'm going to back up to earlier in this chapter to get some context. And it's really interesting that when you start to read a passage, many times, you know, we tend to see the Bible as a bunch of disjointed chapters and verses, right? But it really is amazing that what we really uh, need is to understand that the Bible is a book, and it was written by men as they were inspired by God, and it's inspired, and it's infallible, and it's inerrant and in the original languages, and all of that is true, but it is a book. And so many times, because the Bible has been divided into chapters and verses, and certainly not perfectly done so, many times people read the Bible that way. And that's where we get a lot of problems with interpretation, and that's where we get a lot of different denominations, because people come up with entire interpretations and beliefs built around a few verses. They can't see the forest for the trees. They're so focused on a few verses, they miss the big picture. And so that's where we get a lot of misinterpretation and a lot of wrong beliefs that come out of that. And one of the things that when we see the book as a bunch of disjointed chapters and verses, we don't often recognize that God is saying something through the whole of the book. I just want to back up to the beginning of Matthew chapter 7, probably some of the best known verses in all of Scripture, right? Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 I think this one has surpassed now John 3.16. Used to be, you know, maybe 50, 100 years ago, the best known verse, the most loved verse, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? But now in today's generation, it seems like I hear Matthew 7.1 quoted more by anybody else. And not just the whole verse, but really just the first two words. And you know what they are, right? Say them with me. Judge not. 
Everybody loves that verse, right? Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, right? Why do you see the speck in the, uh, that is in your brother's eye, but do not take the log out of your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own, you hypocrite? First take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Now listen, what Jesus is saying here is there are lots of people who want to stand around judging people, but they're not looking at the sin in their own life. They're like the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee stands up and he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like this other guy and that I give my tithes and that I do this and that I do that and I, do, I fast and I do everything I'm supposed to do. And then the tax collector beats his breast, wouldn't even go near the altar because he was so ashamed of his sin. He beats his breast and he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus, leave no doubt. He says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, is the one who went home justified. The Pharisee did not. Why? Because he's trusting in his own works. He's looking at his own life, and he's judging others by his own good deeds. He's setting himself up. He's self-righteous. He looks down on others. He doesn't have time for others. He just wants to boast about his own little deeds and works that he does. And Jesus says that the tax collector went home justified, not the Pharisee. So in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is saying, hey, don't judge others when you got problems in your own life. You can't be looking at others judging other people when you got problems in your own life. You want forgiveness? You need to give forgiveness. You want to be helped? You need to help others. And in Matthew chapter 7, 7, it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks it will be opened. Which of you have a son, if he asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, no, Jesus said that, right? Let's be clear. Jesus said that. So there are some of you out there who say, what are you talking about? I'm not evil. No, Jesus said, yeah, you're evil. <laughs> okay? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven, who is, give, who is, who is good, give good things to those who ask him and then comes the golden rule the verse that everybody knows right so whatever you wish that others would do to you do to them for this is the law and the prophets now the context is don't judge be forgiving be gracious to others remember you got a lot of sin in your own life before you stand in judgment over anybody else and if you want to be shown mercy, you better be giving mercy. You better be seeking mercy yourself. You better be in, looking for those things yourself because you're as much in need of a Savior as the person you're judging. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter by it. But narrow is the gate, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now, Jesus says, hey, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. And one of the ways that he says that is, he says, look, 
if you do this, if you do unto others as you want them to do unto you, and you don't judge, and you see yourself in need of grace and forgiveness, and you don't stand in judgment over other people, and you forgive others just as you want to be forgiven, then Jesus says that's doing unto others as you want people to do unto you, and specifically as you want God to do to you. Just as you want God to forgive you, you need to forgive others. Just as you want to God to love you and people, other people to love you, you need to love and forgive others. You need to not be in judgment among other people. If you do these things, Jesus says, you're on the path that's narrow. There are few who find it, but that's the way of life. But sadly, there are many, and the path is much wider, that leads to destruction. Jesus says in verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Now listen, there are people in churches today, they're in the congregation, but they're in, and they're in sheep's clothing. They have the form of Christianity, but not only do they deny his power, which is to turn from sin, but... They actually are ravenous wolves. They're predators looking for their prey. And the reason I know this is at one time, I was one of them. When I became a Christian, before I went to prison, before I became a Christian, I thought I was a Christian. I was in church, but I was a predator in the middle of the congregation. I was a wolf in sheep's clothing. I had the appearance of Christianity, but I did not know Christ. I didn't know the gospel. I didn't understand sin. I didn't understand salvation. I didn't know any of those things. How many of you are in the congregation and you know you're there for the wrong reasons? You're looking for the wrong things. Now listen, some of you may not be quote-unquote predators like I called myself just then, right? Some of you may be just you're there, but you're there for the wrong reasons. You're there because you want to find a girl. So you're checking out the females in the singles group, right? Some of you, and, and that's not a horrible thing to be looking at females, to be wanting a relationship, to be wanting a future spouse or a wife. Not a bad thing, right? But some of you are there in church for the wrong reasons because that's not why you're supposed to go to church. You're supposed to go to church to hear the word of God. You're supposed to go to church to be convicted to be forgiven and to forgive others and to love others and to learn more about God and his word. That's why we're supposed to go to church to worship, not to be worshiped, right? So some of you are in church, you're in church for the wrong reasons. You're looking for the wrong things in the wrong places. And in a very real sense, you're a wolf in sheep's clothing because you're posing like a Christian, but your life says something totally different. Some of you come to church and then you go straight to the bar afterward. Or you go out to the bar later that week. Or you go get drugs. You sex, drugs, whatever. Lust, whatever the case may be. Uh, alcohol. You know, anger, your temper. You're, you're in the middle of the congregation, but you've got these ravenous sins that are out of control in your life. And some of you have made zero effort to repent of them. Some of you have made zero effort to turn from your sins that you may live. But that's what the Bible commands us to do. You come to church, you're shacking up with a woman. You're going to church, but you're living with a woman you're not even married to. Worse, you could be living with a guy. Maybe you're in the closet, maybe you're quote-unquote out of the closet. I remember a song by Carmen, the old Christian singer, who says, when it gets to the place that people would rather come out of the closet than clean it, 
it's the sign that the judgment of God is going to fall. So you've got all these little secret sins and misdeeds dark, right? You've got all this stuff going on. You're not making an effort to repent. You're not changing. You're a wolf in sheep's clothing, Jesus calls you. Well, how are we going to know that they're there? Well, you're going to recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Are figs from thistles? Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree can't bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Now remember up above where it said judge not, and yet here it's almost like it's saying judge. <laughs> Look at their fruits. You want to know who the wolves in sheep's clothing are. Look at their fruits. But here's one more importantly for you. Just like Matthew 7 began, look at your own fruit. Be fruit inspectors of yourselves. In what ways is your profession lining up with the way you live? And in what ways is it not? You say you're a Christian, but what does your life really say? What do your actions say when you leave church on Sunday, when you're in the workplace during the week, when you're at home with your wife and kids, or you're at home with your husband and kids? What does your life really say? Are you a Christian? What does your fruit say? Then in verse 21, he says, not everyone he says to me is going to say to me, Lord, Lord, right? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father which is in heaven. Right? So we skip down to verse 24. He says, listen, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rains fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who hath built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. We'll be right back. Hopeafterprison.com. We help locate transitional housing for those being released from prison, regardless of their crime. And when permitted, we connect those being released with one or more mentors from the local church. To learn more, please visit HopeAfterPrison.com. Okay, so right before the break, we read the passage, Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, right? And it said, everyone who hears the words of the Father and does them, keyword does them or phrase key word does or key phrase does them charlie cut that and begin again here everyone who hears the words of the father and does them key phrase does them will be like the wise man who builds his house on the rock and when the wind and waves come the house doesn't fall it's built on a rock but everyone who does not do them will be like the one who's built his house on the sand, and when the wind and the waves come, the house falls, because it's not built on a rock, it's built on the sand. Listener, what's your foundation? What's your house like? Is it built on sand, or is it built on rock? Are you trusting in your works and your righteousness to save you? And are you standing in judgment upon others? Let me tell you, 
you're on a house of sand. You may have great works. You may do great things, just like the Pharisee did. Remember the rich young ruler? I've kept the law from my youth. Jesus didn't argue with him. He said, yeah, one more thing. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor. The rich young ruler, some believe later, was Paul. I'm out of here. He was gone at that point in his life. But the, the one who builds his house on the rock is the one who hears the word of God and does it. So you actually make an effort to turn from sin. Now, what has all this got to do with the Christian worldview? Well, let me tell you. We just had an election. And people voted. But for many people, there's a disconnect between what they say they believe and how they vote. For many people, there's a disconnect between what people say they believe and how they live every day, like vote, or how they talk to their spouse or talk to their kids, or how they represent themselves in the workplace. There's a disconnect. Let me tell you, that disconnect in your life is something to be concerned about. It's not something to play with. In Second Corinthians, I think it's chapter 12, uh, or 13, Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. Be fruit inspectors of yourself. Don't be like these in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Don't hear the scariest words in all of Scripture spoken to you. Depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. Now, if you're listening to these words and you don't know if you know Christ, for sure, then I want you to stop what you're doing right now. And I want you to get down on your hands and knees and I want you to cry out to God to save you. I am not going to lead you through some prayer, some magic words to help you think, okay, now I'm a Christian. This has to come from you, from your heart, between you and God. And if it happens, it's because God, who has begun a good work in you, will be faithful to complete it. But you get down, you cry out to God like the tax collector in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. You want some guidance? Go read that passage. You get out, you get down on your hands and knees, you cry out to God, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Help me change. Help my fruit match what I say. Help how I live match what I say. The way I vote to match what I believe. There are Christians out there who honestly believe it's okay to vote for somebody who supports the murder of innocence. It's okay to vote for somebody who supports the redistribution of wealth on a mass scale. Despite what the scripture says. There's a major disconnect between what we say we believe and how we live. If that's true for you, I am pleading with you to take that seriously. Because I don't want you to be one of those people. And I'm not just talking about the way you vote. That's just one small example. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about overall, on the grand scheme of things, if I was standing outside your life, if people were to watch your life on a movie projector, would they see Christ or would they see you, your sin in its fullness? What would they see when you're not in church? What would they see when you're alone on your bed at night? What would they see if they saw the thoughts inside your head? Listen, these are terrifying thoughts for all of us, me included. I'm pleading with you, get serious about sin. 
Don't take it lightly. John Owen, one of the great Puritans of all time, said, always be killing sin because it will be killing you. InmateMentors.com Help us help your loved one. We write letters, send books, accept collect calls, help those incarcerated plan and prepare for release, and create parole packages. To learn more, please visit InmateMentors.com So who are those who are going to heaven? Jesus told us they're the ones who hear and do the will and the word of the Father. Here's another one that gets me, right? You say you're a Christian, but you don't have to go to church. Now, COVID aside, social distancing aside, whatever. But listen, there are people out there I know that say they're Christians, but they don't need to go to church. Let me tell you something. Augustine said, if a man doesn't have the church as his mother, he doesn't have God as his father. Let me say that again. If a man doesn't have the church as his mother, he doesn't have God as his father. If you are a Christian, you need to be in church. You say, well, where does it say that? Well, listen, there are actually a few verses. Hebrews has some great verses, right? Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, right? Uh, Remember those who have rule over you. Well, guess what? If you're not in the church, they can't possibly have rule over you. Ephesians chapter 4 says, God gave the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all come into the unity of the faith, right? Until Christ comes again. That's why he gave us the church. So you need, if you're a Christian, you need to be in church. You need to be in a Bible-believing church. I think maybe the next time we have a podcast, we'll talk about the marks of a church. That'd be a good topic. But you need to be in church. It matters. God gave us the church. If he didn't want you in it, he wouldn't have given it to us. The church needs you as much as you need it. The church is the body of Christ. And, it, you know, the eye, the hand can't say to the eye, I don't need you. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The hands can't say to the feet, we don't need you. When one of them's missing, things are out of whack. You're that person. If you're not there, things are out of whack. The church needs you as much as you need it. So if you're a Christian, you need to be in church. You need to be reading your Bible. You need to be praying. You need to be worshiping. You need to be in church. You say, now, wait a minute, Chandler. I thought you said we're not saved by works. You're not. Christians are saved by the work of Christ alone. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the works, to the glory of God alone, apart from works, lest anyone should boast. Works don't save you, but works show that you belong to him. If you hear me, you do, this is what Jesus said, those who hear me, they obey me. If they really hear me, they're my sheep. If they don't hear me, if they don't listen, they're not my sheep. And that's what Jesus is saying right here in Matthew chapter 7. So you need to get real with yourself. If you're going to be a Christian, you need to be taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And so that thought that says, I don't need to go to church. Church is where I am. Church is with a few people. Hogwash. 
You need to be in a local church, listening to the word of God preached, praying with the saints and for the saints. You need to be worshiping God with music. You need to be doing all of those things because that's why God gave the church. So if you're a Christian, these are things you should be doing, you need to be doing, and if you're not, there's a disconnect, and you need to wonder if you're not going to be one of those in the scariest verses in all of Scripture, and you're going to hear the scariest words spoken in all of Scripture. Depart from me. I never knew you. But in another passage, he says, there's going to be some who stand before me. And he's going to say, enter in to all of this that I've prepared for you. What do you want to hear? Depart from me, I never knew you. Or enter in to all that I have prepared for you. What words are going to be spoken to you? Are you a Christian? Does your life say it? Remember when you were a kid, the old song, if you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. Let me tell you, if you're a Christian, your life will show it. If it doesn't, you need to really ask yourself, are you a Christian? Thank you for listening to Not a Square Inch, the podcast of Hope Prison Ministries. Join us next time. To learn more, please visit us at notasquareinch.org.